You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. I could sing that song every week and three times on the way home. I don't know about y'all. Of a thousand generations sing, worthy is the lamb who was slain. We praise the resurrected Jesus. That's what unites us together. My name's Dean. I'm a pastor here at City Church. We're in a series called Tensions. We're looking at the tension of trying to live faithfully as Christians in a world that's not our home. Living in a world where our spiritual citizenship is somewhere else, it's in heaven, it's in the kingdom of God, is going to cause some tension in our lives. It's going to cause a rub in terms of in our minds of how we view things, how we operate, how we live. And I think it's our job as a church family to equip each other to live faithfully no matter how old we are no matter how long we've been a Christian, or if we're checking things out for the first time to see what it looks like to live for Jesus in this world that's not our home. And today we're talking about the tension, it really is one, of raising children in a world that is hostile to the Christian faith and is anti-authority. So you might go, already check out and go, I'm not a parent, I'm not going to be a parent, I wanted to be, it's a hard topic for me, or maybe I'm a grandparent, already raised kids, does this apply to me at all? And I would say it does, because we're not a conference, we're a local church, we're a body, so what helps another member of the church is also a good thing for you, and there'll be sermons and weeks where you benefit more than somebody else might benefit, that's what makes the local church significant, but also, it's scriptural truth. So you're going to hear God's word, we're going to talk about living for Jesus in a hostile world, and I promise it will hopefully apply to everyone, I shouldn't say I promise, It will apply to everyone is my hope, Uh, and that's uh, why we gather as a church, to strengthen the body, to make the name of Jesus known, to point people to the scriptures, and also equip people to live in these tensions. Let's pray together, and then we'll jump in. Our Father, we are so thankful to be gathered here today. We're thankful for the baptism we celebrated, that we had parent commissionings at 8.30 and more at 11.30. We're thankful for what you're doing here, and Lord, this is a heavy topic today, and as one imperfect parent who's going to talk about parenting, I look to the one who is the perfect parent, our heavenly father. You allow us to call you father. You see us as your children. In Jesus, you adopted us into your family to be called your sons and daughters, that the blood of Jesus was shed for us and he rose from the grave so we could be part of your family. So that's what will drive this, our mindset, our attitude towards this, our discussion from the scriptures. And where we ask for a generation, there's a missing generation across America right now of people who are graduating from high school and are nowhere to be found when it comes to the local church, of professing Christian parents who are less and less connected, less and less involved. And Lord, I ask that will change, and that we'll see the things of you tied to your grand institutions, the family and the church, the physical family and the spiritual family, to be things that matter very much to us. Again, a bunch of imperfect people in this room. Lord, I ask that we will not have guilt or shame, but we will have Jesus, and we will look to him as the author and perfecter of our faith. Please speak through me now. Keep the enemy out of this place. This emotional and tough topic, I depend on you for it. We ask you, all the churches in Tallahassee, they gather today, let us all proclaim the love of God found in Jesus Christ. And we ask this all in his name. Amen. So a recent survey in Perspectives on Family Ministry found that 85% of Christian parents, not just parents in general, Christian parents, admitted that while they acknowledged they were responsible for their child's spiritual development, they gave a thumbs up to that, I'm responsible for my child's spiritual development, the vast majority were not personally engaging in any activities that might guide their children to spiritual maturity. So think about that. I know my job as a parent. God has given me these children. I'm a steward of their spiritual lives, yet I'm not doing anything to actually make that a reality. You know those memes that say you had one job? Now, at the beginning as a parent, your one job is like to keep them alive. That's what it feels like. I have a one-year-old, and the one next week, all the way to a 17-year-old. It's a quite interesting house. 
And those first few months, like, what's your job as a parent? Like, keep them alive. And I'm going to be, like, in my 60s at high school graduation. I told Chrissy, in one week, we're going to go from empty nest to assisted living. So that's going to be, that's going to be our, our reality. And we're going to dominate pickleball, just so you all know. We're going to dominate. Denny's at 5 p.m., pickleball after. It's on. But you look at that stat and you go, you, had one, you have one job. You have one primary job and you're not paying attention to it. You're not doing anything about it. Yes, you're paying attention to your kids, but this is your primary job, their spiritual development. And how is that a reality in your lives? And again, from one imperfect parent to another, we have to talk about this. Psalm 127 is about the family, is the context. Unless the Lord builds a house, that's an act of dependency there. Unless God does something, unless God is the one who is working, the builders labor over it in vain. Unless God's in it, that we are doing these things in vain. We depend on God to work and to move and to direct. So that's individual for the home, and then he gets broader for all of us. It's corporate here. Unless the Lord watches over a city, the watchman stays alert in vain. As in we are dependent people in our homes as a church and in Tallahassee for God to watch over us and direct and to move and to work. In vain, he says, you get up early. And stay up late, as in if God is not in it, this is our lives. Working hard to have enough food, yes, he gives sleep to the one he loves. So when I read that verse, I go, I wish God would love me a little bit more. Uh, but that's okay. And then he says this, he pivots in the context of God's design and our dependence upon God, and says that sons, this can also be daughters, I'm not trying to make the Bible gender neutral, this applies broadly. Sons are indeed a heritage from the Lord. As in God gives them to us. Offspring or a reward. And by reward, it doesn't mean that you earned it. He's not saying that you earned the right uh, to, be a husband, to be a father and to be a mother. That's not what he's saying here. Think of reward as a gift to be received. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior. What a comparison. Picture that image. Hollywood loves that image. A warrior, arrows. Like We know that image. Put it in your head right now. Arrows in the hand of a warrior are the sons born in one's youth. Happy is the man. There's a lot of ways to define happiness in our culture. God says, here's a way. Happy is the man who has filled his quiver with them. He says, they will never be put to shame when they speak with their enemies at the city gate. As in, they're gonna go out into the world, they're gonna be shot as arrows to the world, and they're gonna represent God and their family well in a hostile world that's around them. So an interesting psalm here, that's the whole psalm. Psalm 127.4 likens children to arrows. And I don't know a ton about archery, I don't know that much about it, but especially more in ancient times, you had to prepare the arrow. The arrow had to be reformed, it had to be refined, you had to actually do work on it to prepare it to go out and be effective if they're actually gonna fly straight from the bow and hit a specific target. And here he says that children are spiritual arrows. So what does that mean how God sees parents? He sees you as archers. He sees you as people who carry the bow, and the goal is to shoot that arrow in such a way that it flies towards God. And the temptation is to hit so many different targets all around us. The target that God wants us to aim at is one that is guided by his word and his will and his truth. 
And again, it's a reminder, the verse of, one, of Psalm 127 makes it clear, we're dependent upon God. Being a parent can make you weary and anxious and hard. We depend on God to build the house, for it to endure, for it to be effective. We're a dependent people upon him. So if you feel weary as a parent, sometimes you should feel that way when you're in your own strength. Keep looking to God over and over again. He is for the weary. He tells us he's gentle and lowly. We can put our heavy burdens upon him and he will make our load light. And the question we need to ask, that sounds harsh at first, but is it possible to love your kids and spiritually not be a great parent? That's not to make anybody feel guilty from one imperfect person to another. It's not to put pressure on, every, on anyone, but the way our world defines being a great mom is just, you love, you love, you love. You love, you love, you love. But can you be really, really loving? Like the most loving parent ever by the eyes of the world and still not be a great parent? And the answer is yes, if their spiritual heart towards Christ is not the primary and most important thing in your home. God defines a great parent more than the world defines a great parent. And all of us as archers should desire to be great parents, to be great grandparents, to be in a church where the family matters, where parents are invested in. We have an equip class. It starts again next week. We're off this week because of the Super Bowl. Go 49ers. I don't know. The Super Bowl. Go Taylor's boyfriend's team. I'm not sure. So we have an equip class on parenting taught by Cindy Wilson, who is a PhD professor at Florida State. We'd love for you to be a part of that starting again next week. But we need to ask ourselves the question, Where are we shooting? Because in an archery competition, or if you're a bow hunter, I'm just going to guess, I've never been bow hunting, probably never will, uh, but I'm going to guess that you just don't walk out there and just randomly just shoot an arrow up in the air and hope it goes somewhere. I'm guessing archery in the Olympics or in any kind of competition, they don't just show up and, you know, you're not Michael Jordan where you can close your eyes one time and hit a free throw. That's like a freakish kind of moment. You try to pay attention and see where you're actually shooting. There's a point to it. There's a target you lock in on in order to shoot the arrow. You don't go, I'm just going to shoot it in the air and maybe it'll hit the target. I'll have a story to tell. No, it's intentional. There's a purpose. There's a target. There's a destination. There's a plan. And of course, that, that target's not right in front of you. It's not three feet away. It takes a little while to get there. It's a journey. It's a process. It's not a quick shot. There's a reason why in golf, most people don't hit hole-in-ones but you're aiming towards the pin, like you're aiming towards the flag. It takes you four or five shots to get there. Some of you, it's seven or eight shots, but you pretend it's four or five uh, in order to get there. But you're actually shooting it somewhere, and it takes time, and you build towards the target, but there's a clearly defined place where you're shooting. I spoke at Grace College and Seminary in Winona Lake, Indiana, this past week, this past Friday, just two days ago, and they were telling me the history of the school. And back in the 30s, the person that founded the school had to go get a charter for the school, had to go get kind of articles of incorporation and rights of existence and all those type of things. And in the paperwork, and back in the 1930s, they asked him, well, what's the mission? He had to actually indicate that. What's the mission? He was like, uh, I mean, we want to, like, be Christian, and what's the mission? So he sat down, kind of took a deep breath, because it's kind of important. It's going to go on the paperwork, and he said, to know Christ and make him known. And now in the year 24, I went on campus this past week and preached at the school at their chapel service, and all over campus you see those, words, those, those lines. Know Christ and make him known. I believe that that's our target, that we want to shoot towards the reality 
of children and the next generation knowing Jesus. Again, we can't control that. God's the one who does the work. God who does the saving. But people who actually believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and cultivate churches and homes and environments that point them to the grace of God, to the love of God, they can't save themselves. To be clear about the gospel and that Jesus is actually the one who saves, and not just to receive that for themselves, but to go and be used for God's glory in every place he sends them for the future to make Christ known. And he uses that line, hands of a warrior. He's not saying, hey, put a warm blanket around it. He's not saying, like a cuddly little snuggle bug on the couch, even that can be part of parenting when they're younger. He says, they're arrows in the hands of a warrior. What is he telling us that parenting is? It's war. There really is a war going on for the hearts and attentions and loyalties and worldview of our children, and those are not Fox News talking points. The devil is after them in the spirit and the context of all that's happening right now and this crazy progressive drift that's happened in our culture. And we have to make sure our children don't fall prey to it. And where that's going to take place is in the home, and it's going to happen in the church. And I'm not talking about politics. I'm saying, what is my actual authority? Do the scriptures matter, or is what the world says really matters? And that's going to happen if we can, we're going to be able to ground kids in this if we realize this is war, and because that, we shoot towards a very clear target. Because reality is that arrows in a war do a warrior no good if they stay in his pack which I learned is called a quiver from reading this psalm. They're made to be launched into battle. And I worry that right now in a lot of Christian parenting, we are protecting our kids, but not preparing our kids. Now, protection is part of the responsibility as a parent. Especially when they're younger, we do protect. There's shepherd imagery. Shepherd cares for his sheep. Our Heavenly Father cares for his children. But we're more on the protecting side and less on the preparing side. And we have to make sure we're investing and preparing and making church a priority and making sure that mom and dad are grounded in the scriptures and living for Jesus because the world's targets are moving all the time. But here's what's amazing about our God. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The book of Jude says we have a faith delivered once and all for the saints. Our target does not move. So here we are shooting to the greatest story, the consistent story that never changes, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he is the Savior, that God's word is true, there's a kingdom to come, that our loyalty's not here in a world that hates that message. Are we prepared for battle? So I put so much emphasis on children's ministry here and student ministry here and college ministry here, not because we think it replaces the home, because we believe we come alongside as a church family, come alongside the family to make sure that we're all prepared to shoot these arrows, as God refers to them as in comparison, into the world. Not to be superstars, not to be these amazing, greatest Christian you've ever known, but no, faithful Christians who are not for this world, but are for Jesus, and love the world and want to reach it for Christ. So what are the targets we see today in our culture? We see where parents seem to be shooting who aren't Christians, and sometimes Christians can be tempted towards it. The targets are usually more about success, defined by a worldly standard, maybe tolerance. You want your kid to be viewed as this super tolerant, accepting person and that one day will have 47 bumper stickers on the back of their car, you know, whatever it might be. Maybe it's image that drives you. You want them to be viewed a certain way. And it's not only about their image, if we're honest, it's about your image. You want to be viewed a certain way of having kids that are viewed a certain way. Shooting so many different places, but we see back to 
uh, verse 1, unless the Lord is the target, unless he's the point, unless he's in it, the arrows we're shooting are in vain. They're just going into the wind. They're, they're landing on, on targets that were never designed to be the ultimate landing place for us. So what is the target? It's making Christ, it's, it's knowing Christ and making him known, but it's also all that encompasses with that, which is a Christian worldview. That Jesus is Lord and the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection for you and for his glory is what drives your life. That you believe that he died so that those who now live no longer live for themselves but for Christ who died and rose again. That's the target, a Christian worldview. And we want to make sure we have children who can stand in the cultural stream having concrete in their shoes. Concrete in their shoes. I'm not saying they're going to be perfect. I do not expect my kids to be perfect. Their dad's not perfect. Why should they be perfect? But I want all children that call this church their home to have concrete figuratively in their shoes when it comes to the streams and the agendas and the winds of this world where they don't budge on the things of God. Because they believe these things are actually eternal, but they're not gonna budge unless mom and dad don't budge. And unless their pastor doesn't budge. And the local church doesn't budge. They're meant to be shot out into the world. Jasmine Holmes writes this, many people fail to consider that children aren't made to sit in their parents' shadows for the rest of their lives. They're made to be launched from their homes into the world, a hurting world, a world in need of Jesus after having been trained to bring the good news of Jesus Christ in whatever context it is that God sends them. Here's what we have to realize. It's hard to grasp this sometimes. We are raising future adults future adults, future husbands, future wives, future moms, future dads, future grandparents, future church members, future Christians working their vocation for the glory of God, future contributors to the church through prayer and involvement and giving. Like that's what we're raising. And I know it's sentimental to say time slow down. I mean, I get that. And as strange as this sounds, it's not supposed to slow down. They were designed and created to get older. Like that's the entire point. And some just don't let them. They want to hold on for dear life and, and smother them, but I would encourage you to trust God with them. You are stewards. They ultimately don't belong to you. They belong to God and he and his grace and his sovereignty and his plan and his design and his kindness and his purposeful action has trusted you with them. But they belong to him. And I hope that can raise a little anxiety for us as parents. We kind of can take a deep breath sometimes and go, you know what? They belong to God before they even belong to me. Like he's the one who ultimately has them in his hands. If we hold on too tight and are unwilling to take them out of the quiver and to send them off into the world, it's kind of like the movie Elf. Remember Buddy the Elf? When he first goes to New York City, it is not a good scene. He's almost getting hit by cars. He thinks it's the world's greatest cup of coffee and the worst cup of coffee in the city. He has no concept for how to operate in a world that's not the North Pole with his Papa Elf and with Santa. Has no concept. We are not raising children to be Buddy the Elf in New York. We're teaching them, yes, to be distinctly from the North Pole, figuratively speaking, hang up on the analogy here, but to exist in a place that's not their home for the glory of God. So the probably right question is, okay, yes, but how do we make sure they're ready? 
especially when we're shooting at a target, but everything else is shooting back at us. I would say we take advantage of the toolkits that God has given us, the home, the family, and the church. But what does it look like to take advantage of that in the home and in the church and make sure we're into this faithfully? Proverbs 22.6, the great toolkit that God has given us. It's a verse that's very commonly known by a lot of people. I even know people who aren't Christians who are at least familiar. They've heard this verse before. It can be kind of coffee muggish. It says this, start a a youth out on his way, and even when he grows old, he will not depart from it. That's the CSB, the Christian Standard Bible Translation. Maybe you've heard this translation before from the ESV and others. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Now, that verse can actually serve as a really discouraging verse for parents. Because regularly you'll see, Christi- you'll see now like, like people who have raised adults who are raised in the church, raised in a Christian home, and now they're nowhere to be found when it comes to the faith. They've rebelled against God. They're living for this, by the standards of this world. They're living for the values of a world that is their home, they think, rather than the world to come. And the parents go, what did we do wrong? Like, are we failures? I mean, God said in the scriptures, he promised us if we train a child in the way that he should go, that when he's old, he's not going to depart from it. Is, is, should I question God's word? Is it just a proverb to make me feel better? Is it, is it really not true? And sometimes we've got to do a deep, deeper dive into the scripture to see what's actually happening here. It's important to know that the Old Testament was written in the Hebrew language, New Testament primarily in Greek. And oftentimes, it doesn't question the authority of the Bible because the inerrancy of the scriptures are tied to the original manuscripts in that original language. But in any culture, any society, sometimes things can get lost in translation in terms of the language. And in the English language, somehow a misservice has been done to this verse. Again, it does not question the validity of the Bible because it's about what the actual Hebrew says in its original language. But in the English, it's kind of gotten us off track a little bit and led a lot of people astray and into discouragement. So what's happening here is, in English it says, train up a child in the way he should go. In the Hebrew, that should go part's not supposed to be there. The Hebrew is, train a child in his way. And even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Not train a child in the way he should go, train a child in his way is the original Hebrew. So it's not actually a promise that God is making. It's actually a warning. And all Proverbs scholars, including one of my very best friends who's PhD in Proverbs, uh, that I've consulted with, all point this direction. What's happening here is more or less a, a, a verse of sarcasm, where he's saying, let a child go on in his way, in the way that he wants to go, in the way that she wants to go in. When he gets older, sure, You know what's going to happen when he gets older? He's not going to depart from doing things his way. She's not going to depart from doing things her way. So it's a warning here. It's a warning to actually be unafraid to correct your children. It's the flip side of a promise. That parents must correct their kids before foolish character sets in. Because last time I checked, you don't learn to do things the wrong way. You learn to do things the right way. If you have a two-year-old, there's a really good chance that in the next little while, maybe it's already happened, that someone of your friends is going to be over for a play date, whatever we call it today, and they're going to take the toy from your kid. You know what your kid's going to do? They might bite them in the face. Now, I'm just going to guess, before that, you didn't pull your kid aside and go, hey, buddy, I got a great strategy for you. If he tries to take your toy, bite him. He'll never do it again. 
which actually has some wisdom to it. But, but, you, but that, conversation didn't, that conversation didn't happen. Why? Because our hearts are far from God. Even when we're younger, we want to do what's right in our eyes, even when we're kids. God says we don't trust our hearts. We don't have good hearts. We need new hearts that Jesus gives us. So before children are given a new heart by trusting in Christ, we're still teaching them and pointing them towards the things of God and instructing them in what is right. Because you don't naturally do what is right. Because our hearts aren't bent towards righteousness and goodness in God, even someone as innocent as a child. Don't let your kids have their way when it's in their eyes because that can be harmful for them in the future. And here's the reality. Maybe the reason your kid can't take no for an answer is because the answer is never no. I don't mean just like the fun things in home, like going out to get ice cream or going to Chick-fil-A or when they ask, please, 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 you're like, sure, that's great. No, I, I mean what they watch, what they wear, who they hang out with, how much screen time. Maybe they can't take no for an answer and you're always the bad guy and whenever that no word no comes up because it never actually lasts and never sticks. We discipline and we teach. This is really important, especially for you moms out there. I'm not trying to be like misogynistic, so please, that's not my heart on this. You're not their buddy. Your 13-year-old daughter is not your best friend. You are her parent. And when you're adults, sure, that relationship will change. But right now, you're their parent. You are their authority in their life. I hope you're fun, and I hope you're enjoyable, and I hope you enjoy being together, and I hope you laugh but you're not their best friend. You're their parent. And one of the things that's happened in our culture today is we have forgotten that. And too many moms, the dads too, want to be seen as the best buddy and the cool mom and want to be seen in a certain way and not cause ever be the bad guy and we see just chaos all around us in the next generation. We have to remember those things. That God has established authority and you are that authority under his authority as stewards to the arrows he has given you. But again, the purpose of an arrow is to be shot out. Jim Elliott, the missionary, was trying to talk his parents and let them go on a mission trip. He went on to be a famous missionary, actually gave his life as a martyr. And Elliott said this, he was explaining to his mother and father why he would leave a promising career in the United States and serve as a missionary in South America to an unreached people group at the time. And he asked this question, what is a quiver full but of arrows? And what are arrows for but to shoot? So the strong arms of prayer draw the bowstring back and let the arrows fly, all of them, straight at the enemy's hosts. My good pastor friends, J.D. Greer in North Carolina, a church with a strong, strong missionary sending culture, right by a seminary, it's just really they really, I guess you could say that they kind of set the tone. Everyone else looks to them like for how to do this faithfully, sending missionaries all around the world, planting churches across the country. And he will tell you, and we've had conversations about this regularly, that the biggest obstacle to sending young adult and college students into the world as missionaries is parents. It's parents who simply don't want them to go and refuse to bless it and refuse to make it happen and again, for someone who's not a Christian, that would make perfect sense. They might be in danger, something might happen. But for people who are Christians, like, is there a greater call in the world? Is there a greater call in the world than to make a decision in your life based on something for the kingdom of God? It doesn't make financial sense or worldly success. Or, uh, we have to be people who say, you know what? I'm trusting God with you. Do you follow the calling in your life? And we're gonna let that arrow fly. Because we've prepared it and developed it 
and now it's time for it to go into action. Let that not be said of us as parents, as grandparents. Let that not be said of us, that we are the barrier, that we're the hindrance, that we're the obstacle towards our kids going into the mission field, into the world. So what is the goal? So it's easy to say that's the target, like, yay, Jesus, it's God's word, but what, what, what am I trying to do as a dad? Again, imperfect dad, trying hard. I have four things I want to see as a reality in my kids, and I do not expect them to be perfect. Their dad's not perfect. Uh, they are people just like you are, and they're trying to figure it out just like you are. But here's four things I want to see as a reality in their lives. The first thing is conviction. I want them to have rock-solid beliefs about who Jesus is, that Jesus rose from the grave, and since Jesus rose from the grave, we can believe every other thing that he said. So you can shoot every woke and progressive and radical arrow their way, and it's not going to matter because they're developed strong convictions of who Jesus is. That's why if I was not the pastor of this church, we would still be members of this church because this church always centers everything around the word of God and everything that we do. We need to make sure that our kids have strong biblical convictions, and you can't be afraid to teach those. You cannot be afraid to teach those. I don't think we should shove religion down our kids' throats. That is a dumb thing to say. Shove. Notice nobody ever says, we shouldn't shove chemistry down our kids' throats in Algebra 2. What do you do? Get tutoring. Get help. Have you studied? Have you done your homework? How are your grades? We never say, oh, you know, we shouldn't shove baseball down a kid's throat. Hitting lessons. Practice on 17 teams, like over and over again. Have you thrown today? Have you pushed up? Have you pushed up? No one says that. But with religion, the most important thing in the world that everything else flows from, we're told not to shove it down our kids' throats. Make sure what you're shoving, though, is the gospel, the grace of Jesus Christ, not some man-made rules-based religion. One that allows them to know Jesus and to see God's love for them in Christ and then compels them to want to go live their lives for him. Maybe what's happened is it's been the wrong religion we shoved down their throats. One that's based on guilt and shame and pressure and morality rather based on Jesus and how he frees us now live our lives for his glory. Next thing is character. Character. That their hearts are being developed, not just behavior modification. They're having hearts that are bent towards the Lord. And there's a lot of ways to define character. I think one of the best ones is it's like who you are all the time. I'm, I'm, like, I, one of the, I think one of the great lessons I learned from my dad that I received it, we didn't like sit down and have these like long conversations about character. You know, we had a lot of great conversations. He'd come to my room, we'd talk at night, he'd sit on my bed, pray with me. I remember those things, but I watched him. And my dad was my principal. Imagine that. You think a pastor's kid's rough, principal's kid? So my friends and I would decide some mornings, we're not going to school. And we're going to all meet at my house, we're all in the same neighborhood, we'd walk to Deer Lake, and we're going to play Nintendo. We're not going to go to school. Why would we go to school when, you know, Ken Griffey Jr. Baseball's here? We're going to play that instead. And so my teacher would see I was not in first period and would call my dad and would say, Dean's not at school. My dad knew I wasn't sick. I didn't have a dentist appointment, so what happened? My dad would drive down Copperfield Circle, come pick us up, and all my friends would run and get in the car, and we'd go to school second period, and we would be late. My dad was my principal, y'all. So I got so he like so he, I, he saw me all the time. I saw him lead and discipline and instruct and all those kind of things. But here's what was so powerful to me: same guy as the principal at your like middle school that he was at dinner at home on a Tuesday night. Same guy. There wasn't principal face, principal leadership, and then a different category for home, family, whatever. Character matters. And 
they're not going to have it unless you model it and you show it. But here's what we're doing right now that worries me. Even though we, I think everyone in here cares about their kid's character and their grandkid's character, what we're saying is there's other things that are more important in life right now. School, sports, success, dance, popularity, college. You know, all those things are good things and none of those things are good. None of those things are bad. None of those things are bad. Let's not let those things, and also those things can produce character. I 100% believe that. But let's make sure their spiritual character is the most important thing that's happening in our homes and that we as imperfect people are modeling it. The third thing is courage. I want my kids to have guts because they're going to have every reason to cave and to not be encouraged. It's different than conviction. Conviction is what you stand on. Courage is how you live it out. How you live it out. And I am, I am like, I have a 17-year-old in high school, and I, I am so proud of him, so proud of him for how he lives for Jesus at his school every single day. That is more important than anything you can ever else do in your life, is to live for Christ. Please let your kids know that nothing is more important in their lives than being courageous for Jesus. And the fourth thing is that they're compassionate. That's not at odds with being courageous or having strong convictions. That because they believe in Jesus, they actually care about people who are lost. They don't expect people who aren't Christians to act like they are. They care about a lost and growing world. Like, you basically, I say those are four things I'm trying to have in my home. I need to make sure you're clear that first, those are four things I'm trying to have in my life. In my life. So I think this applies to every Christian. Let's have strong conviction. Let's have strong character. Let's have guts about the things of God. If Jesus rose from the grave, who cares what they think? If Jesus rose from the grave, then I care what he said about marriage rather than I do what some blog says about marriage. I want to have compassion. But I need to be someone who's striving towards those four things. So in parenting, you're not trying to lead them to anything that God's not leading you to himself in your heart. The tools he gives us are the home and the church. And my biggest concern for us right now it's easy to say things like, we're losing a generation to TikTok. We're losing a generation to the sexual revolution. We're learning, losing a generation to this and that and this, but no one's talking about how we might be losing a generation to busy. To busy. Because right now, one of the reasons why kids' spiritual development is not happening is they have no margin in their lives. They always have something going on. But there's never a chance for them just to come home and be normal for five seconds. And we always have to jump on every single thing. It's like if a person just shows interest in something, it's like, lessons, <laughs> you know, like, let's go, full speed. And it's sometimes just like, hey, we might need to have conversations with the family and amongst Christian friends who are trusted about maybe how that's not the way to go. Like, it's, maybe it's not the way to go right now. Like, maybe we need to make sure they're still engaged in all the great things of life and they're fulfilling their passions and doing all the things, but they gotta have margin in their lives. They have to. You had it in yours when you were a kid. Like, they, of course they can't go on Wednesday night. They're never able to because they're so busy. They're exhausted. So let's, I say this in two senses. Let's let them be kids, but prepare them to be adults. 
And that's going to require doing things in the world, being a part of teams, being a part of things, being pushed outside of their comfort zone, like having to handle pressure. Like they need to do all those things. They're not going to be Buddy the Elf in New York. Okay? But in doing that, let's make sure they actually have margin to breathe sometimes and that mom and dad can actually be mom and dad and not just like coach, check on homework person, driver. Like in our archery, in our archery, we're realizing that we're specifically called by God to shoot them to targets that actually is God himself and the things of the Lord and the things of God. Our archery should look different than the world's archery because God does not give them that promise. God does not tell them where to shoot. Now, he tells us all where to shoot. What I mean is they don't have the Holy Spirit in their lives. They can't think about spiritual things. They're going to have different values. They're going to have different rules. They're going to have different priorities and perspectives. It's supposed to be that way. People who aren't Christians aren't supposed to act like they are. I'm a Christian and not great at acting like I am all the time. But for us, it should be different. We need to view parenting as a stewardship and that we will be held accountable for the gifts that God has given us. And we're not held accountable by our kids being perfect because they're not going to be because you're not either. And if they were perfect, they wouldn't need Jesus and the cross and resurrection would be unnecessary and it wouldn't make sense. But people who have been redeemed by Christ, shown the grace of God, let's see people who are passionate about the two institutions that God has given us, the family and the church, and to say that these things are gonna matter to us no matter what age, no matter what life phase, we're gonna care about these things. We're gonna come alongside the church through its next generation ministries to support the family and to take the good news, the gospel to the world so when kids graduate from high school from this church and get shot off into the world as arrows, they're still living for Jesus, not a statistic as someone else who has left the faith. We want concrete blocks in their shoes based on conviction that develops character, that has courage, and that has compassion. Because aren't you thankful for imperfect parents like us and imperfect grandparents and imperfect Christians that God has compassion on you and God has compassion on me. So let's develop those things in our lives as we teach it in the ones that God has entrusted us to be stewards with. You can't reach a world for Christ if you bubble wrap your family. Arrows are meant to be shot out into the world. So in the meantime, as they go, develop them, walk with them, point them, correct them, discipline them, teach them. Why? Because you're the parent, and that's what God has called you to be. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful that you are the perfect father. That I'm not, my dad wasn't, my boys won't be. You are the perfect father. And we're thankful that you count us as part of your family. What an amazing thing to know. We've been adopted by our God who shows himself and is father, shows himself to us as father, calls, us, calls himself father. You've adopted us into your family as your sons and daughters. Lord, let us see how amazingly compassionate our God is for us that sinners have been made family members of the creator who is holy. Let that drive us to want to have strong convictions. We believe Jesus rose from the grave. God's word is true. This world is passing away. Those who stand on the word of the Lord remain forever. Let us have convictions. Let us have strong character. Our hearts be growing more towards you to have affections towards our Lord. Lord, let us have courage and let us be compassionate. Lord, I pray for the weary people in this room in all different areas of life. We will look to Christ. We will stand up in the power of the Spirit 
and will not carry out the desires of the flesh, but follow you into the world and be faithful to the one who is ultimately faithful, and that is you. We're thankful that you call us your own, and we're grateful for that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together and close out the service.